Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. A revamped version of the Violence Against Women Act is poised for reauthorization by Congress. When it was first enacted in 1994, VAWA was hailed as a major step in fighting domestic violence. It later included a means for tribes to go after abusers. Congress let the law expire in 2018, but a bipartisan group has been working for months to bring it back. We'll hear about what the new law has in store for tribes coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Bureau of Indian Affairs announced Monday reforms to its tribal jails. The Mountain West News Bureau's Madeline Beck reports. A Mountain West News Bureau and NPR investigation found a pattern of neglect and misconduct that led to more than a dozen inmate deaths. The BIA then hired a consultant to review the deaths, and now it's proposing changes it wants to make. That includes more training on how to perform in-custody death investigations. Assistant Secretary of the Interior Brian Newland put it this way. The report lays out recommendations for the department informed by an assessment of the thoroughness and effectiveness of in-custody death investigations. However, the BIA's proposed changes don't include harsher penalties for misconduct by jail employees or more medical personnel in tribal jails. Newland also said he was looking into whether the agency's contract with Daryl Cruzan to review the deaths followed laws and regulations. Some congressmen have been critical of the contract because, as an interior official, Cruzan oversaw tribal corrections during seven of the deaths. After leaving the agency, he became a consultant and his firm won the contract to review the jail deaths. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Madeline Beck. Native Youth Monday laid out top priorities for the National Congress of American Indians. Two members of the NCAI Youth Commission delivered remarks prior to the State of Indian Nations address. Youth leaders Simon Friday and Jessica Lambert say education and climate issues are major concerns. They say there needs to be better Native American representation in public schools with the expansion of history lessons, which should include a focus on modern American Indians. The youth leaders say more needs to be done to address climate change and protect land and water. Lambert says the Youth Commission is worried about the mental well-being of Native young people across the country. It is crucial to create spaces and provide resources for tribal youth that are struggling with mental health and generational well-being as well as helping tribal youth, in addition to all Natives, understand how to enact true preventative health care through lifestyle choices. The first step to doing this is taking away the stigma associated with battling mental health issues and re-emphasizing our strong cultures, as it is our practices and ways of living that often allow us to live healthy lives. This was the first time Native youth took part in the annual speech. The Youth Commission seeks solutions for challenges facing tribal communities. They meet with the Native leaders and inform advocacy decisions. Following the remarks, National Congress of American Indians President Fawn Sharp delivered the State of Indian Nations Address, discussing key issues, achievements, and funding goals. Sharp says tribes need to continue to improve government-to-government relationships, seeing progress with the historic confirmation of Deb Holland as Interior Secretary. She says there are expansions in policies and highlighted tribal funding in Biden's infrastructure law. 
There have been many strides and promises fulfilled, Sharp says, but she encouraged leaders to keep the government accountable. While the historic investments into Indian country over the past year are progress to solve the centuries of mistrust, we must keep fighting forward to hold the federal government to its trust responsibility to every tribal nation. Sharp touched on the ongoing pandemic, broadband, sacred sites, mascots, boarding schools, and a number of other issues. Her 30-minute speech was part of NCAI's winter session. The day-long event with government officials and members of Congress was held on a virtual platform. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. There are now booster recommendations for all three available COVID-19 vaccines in the United States, and you may choose which booster shot you receive. More info at aaip.org or cdc.gov coronavirus who support this show. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A bipartisan group of lawmakers in Washington, D.C. say they have an agreement to reauthorize the Violence Against Women Act, or VAWA, as it's most commonly known. This is the law that, among other prerogatives, gives tribes power to hold non-Native perpetrators accountable when they abuse Native women. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski is among those who championed the latest agreement. Here she is making the case to the U.S. Senate Committee on Indian Affairs in December. In Alaska, the rates of violence experienced by Alaska Natives are horrific. There's no other word than horrific. According to a report prepared by the Indian Law and Order Commission, Alaska Native women are overrepresented by nearly 250% among women domestic violence victims in our country. Most Native communities in rural Alaska have no local law enforcement physically presence. One out of three Native communities, one out of three, has no local law enforcement that is physically there. And currently, Alaska tribes, many of the tribes, don't have the tools that they need to address this violence in our tribal communities. Only one Alaska tribe could potentially implement the special jurisdiction. This is wrong. And we have recognized that, and we have to make it right. And we need to do it in a way that recognizes the unique jurisdictional situation that we have in Alaska. We're a PL-280 state, Alaska is. The Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, ANCSA, is going to be celebrating its 50th anniversary just this next, next week. But it created a new and different approach to tribal land tenure from the lower 48 reservation system. We've got half the tribes in, in the entire country, but we only have one Indian reservation in our state. 
After the U.S. Supreme Court decision in the Venati case, in which the court held that Anxa lands are not Indian country, it became the state's duty, largely alone, to provide for public safety and justice for Alaska Natives. We're in a situation that just isn't tenable right now, but I'm happy to report that we have an Alaska solution to this complex jurisdictional situation in our state, and we're calling it the Alaska Public Safety Empowerment Pilot Project. We're rolling it out as a part of the discussion draft uh, text title for, for folks to see. Give us your feedback on it. It builds on previous legislation that you've seen from me. It's the product of years, years of work with tribal advocates and smart lawyers. We're going to be able to hear from Michelle Demert as part of this panel. She has been a great help. But this pilot project will empower a limited number of Alaska tribes to exercise special criminal jurisdiction over certain crimes that occur in villages in Alaska. These tribes will have to meet certain criteria, including having a tribal justice system that can adequately safeguard the rights of defendants. But I am absolutely confident, absolutely confident, that Alaska tribes are up to this task. We'll hear more about how Alaska will be included in the proposed VAWA reauthorization and how the law could strengthen protection for Native women everywhere. As always, we'd like to have you in on our conversation today. Please join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us today from Fairbanks, Alaska, is Michelle Demert. She's the Law and Policy Director for the Alaska Native Women's Resource Center and current delegate and former Chief Justice for the Central Council Tlingit and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. Michelle is also Tlingit. Welcome to Native America Calling, Michelle. Thank you. It's an honor to be here today. Great to hear Senator Murkowski mention your name as part of this pilot panel. Congratulations on, on all of your accomplishments. Oh, well, thank you. It's really a joint effort among the movement. Michelle, please start us off today. The Violence Against Women Act, or VAWA, it is often referred to, it was last reauthorized in 2013, and then it lapsed at the end of 2018. So it's been more than three years. Why is it being reauthorized now? And this will be the fourth time since the law was enacted in 1994, right? Correct. And when it gets reauthorized, um, you know, it has to go through both the House and the Senate. And uh, in the last attempt to reauthorize it, the Senate never took up VAWA. And so while provisions, um, the provisions that mostly expire are related to grant funding and um, not the actual law itself, the law remains intact. Well, and that makes sense because I, it's been reported that there wasn't a huge impact because Congress continued to fund many of these VAWA-related programs. So really the lapse more impacted these grant-funded programs. But um, is it true that specifically in regard to programs serving Native people that there hasn't been a huge impact during the lapse? Well, I, I would hate to say that because I work specifically in Alaska, so I can't speak to the other parts of the country. Um, you know, it's just um, some of the grant funding is um, has been um, negatively affecting some communities. Um, but really, you know, the, the point is we really need to stay on schedule with reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act because we have important lessons that are learned during each 
time period in which one it's enacted and then the next time that it's supposed to be enacted. So, for instance, in 2013, um, while it uh, uh, reaffirmed the sovereignty of tribes to prosecute non-Indians um, in certain relationships, um, it neglected to address the issue when children are present or law enforcement are are um, attacked in those crimes. And so, um, so it's really those types of issues that the the current law will be addressing as it pertains to Indian country in general. That's interesting. So how will be tribes included in this new iteration of VAWA legislation? I'm sorry, could you repeat the question, please? Yeah, I'm just curious, how are tribes included in the new VAWA legislation for this new reauthorization coming up? Oh, sure. Yeah. And so the lessons learned from 2013 um, uh, are carried forward in this version in that the, um, you know, the the crimes that have not been addressed previously, such as um, the ones that I mended, uh, mentioned, and we call them attendant crimes, um, crime, domestic violence rarely occurs in isolation. Usually there's other crimes and victims involved. And, um, and sometimes, the, you know, they're the most dangerous calls to go out on. And so law enforcement can be attacked. So um, regardless of whether law enforcement is Native or non-Native, uh, this new law will address if, you know, crimes are committed against them, sexual assaults. Um, it will address some stalking issues, um, those that are trafficked. Um, it really provides some technical fixes that we discovered um, were um, just uh, were not there in the 2013 version. Now, this reauthorization, do you know how long it's going to last? Um, well, generally, it is about, um, you know, five years. Every five years, it's taken up. And um, that's a really good question. And um, I bet Mary Catherine will know that answer. Okay. And does the law give actual criminal jurisdiction to tribes? Could you clarify? It reaffirms the inherent sovereignty of a tribe to prosecute a non-Indian um, who is uh, who has committed certain types of crimes. Okay. So it's really not right. a grant of authority. It's a recognition of authority. Understood. Now, Michelle, specifically with Alaska Natives, um, how have they been included in VAWA since it was first enacted almost 30 years ago, 1994? Well, in the general mention of American Indian and Alaska Natives, we have been part of the Violence Against Women Act. However, because of jurisdictional complexities in Alaska, a lot of that has been somewhat meaningless in that we haven't been able to exercise the intended um, jurisdiction or have the that the desired effect of the law was supposed to have. Um, so in Alaska, because we have no treaties, because um, uh, you know, because of various historical factors, because the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. Um, pretty much divested Indian tribes of all of their Indian lands and gave it to for-profit corporations. Um, the jurisdictional question of what, you know, if you have jurisdiction, what territory are you um, covering? And so in this version of VAWA, it addresses what is called the Indian country problem in Alaska. 
Okay. And, you know, many of our listeners are in the lower 48. Could you give us a brief overview, just specifically how is Alaska different than tribes in the lower 48, and especially with regard to how this reauthorization of VAWA will impact Alaska Natives? Sure. Um, So, again, um, you know, Alaska, I believe, was purchased in 1868. Um, That was during the Civil War times. Um, And um, in three short years later, 1871, Congress prohibited uh, the president from treating with Indian tribes. So you fast forward to um, the 50s when Alaska became a state, um, and there was um, that was the era of termination. That was the federal law and policy of termination. And during that time, you have the Public Law 280, which granted five states, um, you know, the jurisdiction the federal government have. And when Alaska became a state in 1958, it granted that jurisdiction to Alaska. And then, um, you know, oil was discovered in Alaska. And instead of creating more reservations or um, addressing the situation as is uh, more traditional in the lower 48 tribes, uh, they created the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, um, which basically, as I said, took the land um, from tribes and gave it to um, regional and village corporations to have authority over, and um, and so tribes were not, um, you know, uh, there was a lot of question about the status of Indian tribes um, mm-hmm. at that time. And, uh, Do you have a comment or question for today's show? Please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We are talking about the Violence Against Women Act and its reauthorization. Back right after the break. After a violent event, Native families can find themselves thrust into the public spotlight with little to no guidance on how to proceed. We'll hear about resources for those facing difficult public scrutiny from a family that's been there. Join us for the next Native America Calling. The Association of American Indian Physicians and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention remind you there are now booster recommendations for all three available COVID-19 vaccines in the United States. You may choose which COVID-19 vaccine you receive as a booster shot. Getting the COVID-19 vaccination protects you, your family, and your community. More information at aaip.org or cdc.gov coronavirus who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the Violence Against Women Act. Washington lawmakers say they have an agreement to reauthorize VAWA. Do you have any questions about how it would affect domestic abuse and other crimes in your community? Or have you witnessed changes since VAWA was first enacted in 1994? If you have some questions or comments, please join the conversation 1-800-996-2848. We'd love to hear from you today. Joining us In Fairbanks, Alaska, we have Michelle Demmer. She's the Law and Policy Director for the Alaska Native Women's Resource Center. And before we went to break, Michelle, you were giving us a little bit of a history lesson uh, regarding uh, Alaska Natives, uh, village corporations, and and explaining how uh, the Native peoples up in Alaska are are different uh, politically and structurally from tribes in the lower 48. And we had to go to break, so we kind of cut you off there. But please, Michelle, continue your thoughts. 
Sure. Thank you very much. And I would say that we're not different politically, just um, in terms of the jurisdictional challenges that we face. So Alaska Native uh, uh, the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act was in 1971, and as I said, it um, gave essentially all of the tribal lands to uh, for-profit regional and village corporations, and so there was a time period from 1971 to 1993 where there was a lot of uncertainty as to the status of Indian tribes in Alaska. But um, in 1993, there was a solicitor's opinion in which uh, it reaffirmed that tribes in Alaska existed. And um, in, from there, um, we have the Venati case, which happened later in the 90s, in which um, there was a challenge to the authority of, a, of the native village of Venati in a taxation case. And um, in the Supreme Court held that um, there is virtually no Indian country in Alaska. And that is generally defined as the jurisdictional base for um, for taking action um, in a in a court system, you know, and so so that created more um, <laughs> more confusion. <laughs> and so uh, so when the Violence Against Women Act was enacted in 2013, this reaffirmation of jurisdiction was to Indian country. Well, as I said, there's virtually no Indian country in Alaska except for one village, um, native uh, Metlakatla. And so there's 228 tribes that were virtually left out of exercising that type of jurisdiction in 2013. Mm -hmm. And how have Alaska Native communities been affected by being essentially excluded from so many of these VAWA provisions in the past? Well, the disproportionate rate of violence continues. Um, you know, as I, as Senator Murkowski said in your lead, you know, a lot of our villages have no native, native um, no law enforcement presence in our villages. Nearly 40% lack any law enforcement whatsoever, and so they have to wait hours, days, sometimes weeks for a response from a hub community or from some other uh, state law enforcement agency. And as a result of that, you know, there's just been a huge disproportionate rate of violence against Native American women. We have the worst statistics as it comes to domestic violence. Um, we are ranked one of the highest in murder rates of Native women. Um, and uh, there's just, you know, I can go on and on. Nearly 50% of Native American women have um, been found to have been uh, raped or had sexually assaulted. Um, the Tribal Law and Order Commission report that um, was issued in 2013 states that in some villages, every woman has been raped. So, you know, it's perpetrators are smart. They they know when they can take action without any sort of accountability. And that's what's happened in Alaska. Well, those figures you're sharing are just absolutely shocking. And, and I can speak from a little bit of experience. I was up in, in Alaska just a few years ago and I flew into Anchorage like everybody does. And then I had to go out into a, into a more rural community and flew on one of those little smaller carriers and they have their little offices and their little runways there where they, you just kind of get on a plane with maybe five or six other people. But while we were waiting for our flight, there was a team of probably seven or eight law enforcement officers fully decked out in, in, in gear and they were getting on a plane in a big hurry and they were going somewhere, someplace. And all I could think of was, geez, there's something really serious going on. And whatever that community is, they're having to wait for these law enforcement officers to reach them 
via airplane. And it was just a real wake up call for me, Michelle. So the big news here, or one of the big, the big pieces of news is that this year's legislation includes Alaska natives and it includes this Alaska public safety empowerment pilot project of which you're a big part of that team that's working on it. So tell us about it. Yeah, so this is really, um, you know, exciting, if you will, in that it will it expands the jurisdictional definition so that Alaska tribes can participate. It defines it as a, you know, uh, the statistical <clears throat> jurisdiction of the tribe, um, the census jurisdiction of the tribe, which has been used in the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, and um, and so it. it finally provides the territorial jurisdiction that's needed at times, recognition for criminal jurisdiction. And um, what it will do essentially is will provide resources and, um, and again, it reaffirms, reaffirms the authority of the tribal governments to prosecute non-Indians in certain categories of crimes, but also will provide resources for, you know, just general crimes um, that they might experience with um, with other with their own community or with um, American Indians um, who live in their communities. So it's really, you know, we're resource poor. Um, I think another statistic is that um, nearly 37% of our villages lack the necessary resources to fully um, even protect and provide services for uh, domestic violence victims. So this will be a huge boost in um, addressing some of those issues. Now, as I understand it, it's not only Alaskan communities that are involved in the pilot. Can you share with us some of the some of the communities that are actually participating in the pilot? So the pilot, um, which is um, part of Section B of the Senate Bill 3623, is actually called the Alaska Tribal Public Safety Empowerment Act. And, um, and this is specifically built on the um, pilot project from the VAWA 2013 version in which, um, you know, that created pilot projects before the actual implementation date where all tribes who met certain requirements could participate. So, um, so for this section, it's specifically for Alaska villages. Okay. Um, I think one of our producers mentioned that you have some experience of working with the Tulalip tribe in Washington state with some of these issues. Is that true? Um, yes. When VAWA 2013 was um, enacted, I was in the reservation attorney's office for the Tulalip tribes, and they were one of the first three pilot project tribes who exercised a special domestic violence criminal jurisdiction in February 2014. So, Michelle, you go way back advocating for VAWA, and I'm curious, what, what drives you? What, what motivates you to work so hard in this, in this realm? Well, you know, it, it is really personal. I've had a lot of family members. I've had a lot of friends who have been violently beaten. I've had girlfriends, um, daughters go um, who have been murdered. And, um, and oftentimes there is no justice or the justice is so slow that it just re-victimizes the families. Um, and so, you know, we're American citizens as you know, just like everyone else, but yet we're treated like third-class citizens in that we don't get the resources. Um, I mean, 
think of this. In in Alaska, there is no statewide 911 um, calling system. So can you imagine calling 911 and no one's there? So in Alaska, we had to determine, in most rural Alaska, we had to term, determine if we need medical help or if we need law enforcement. And that's where we um, we had to call a actual phone number and not 911 for those calls. Sometimes you had to leave a message and get a call back. So. You know, so it's a, a matter of educating about our situation in Alaska. I, I think people just cannot believe that in 2022 there are situations like this. Certainly. Well, folks, do you have questions about VAWA today? Is your tribe finally able to arrest non-Native perpetrators of violence? And if so, how has that affected your community? How would your community be impacted if local tribal law enforcement could arrest and charge non-Native perpetrators of violence against Native women? Or if you're just fascinated in learning more about some of these issues that are taking place in Alaska, please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We're talking today with Michelle Demert. She's up in Fairbanks. And Michelle, I want to ask you, what kind of work did uh, Alaska Native advocates do with Senator Murkowski to create all of these new programs and this whole pilot that you're talking about today, were they pretty involved in, in, in developing this whole model? Oh, definitely. Senator Murkowski has been a fierce supporter and advocate for the injustices that Native women in Alaska face. And, you know, once we started educating her and her staff on these issues, she was looking for solutions immediately and looking for solutions that actually work in Alaska, not just might, uh, you know, a lot of times programs are developed and, and you just add the term Alaska Natives or you add American Indians. Well, in this situation, she actually, you know, looked at what would work. And, um, and this is a culmination of several years of her working with various um, law, legal um, experts in this area talking to the state. Um, and that's that's one thing I just want to highlight is that the state of Alaska, you know, they still have not weighed in on this situation. Um, there was a press conference on Friday and the governor said that they have to study the bill. Um, well, it's been available for, uh, you know, since December. And before that, there was actually an introduction um, last session. So they should be prepared. Um, and, and, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that this does not change the state of Alaska's jurisdiction. This is an, a bill that is very additive, meaning that it just enhances the ability of everyone to make, um, you know, to create a, a safer place for Alaska Natives and um, the general population to live, to help, you know, hold people accountable. So, um, so anyway, Senator Murkowski, she's just a godsend. Now, I know that Senator Dick Durbin did mention, you know, the, the bipartisan effort, and you just mentioned that there's been a little bit of pushback, so that's concerning. But he also mentioned that neither party achieved everything that they wanted in the reauthorization, a compromise had been reached. And I, I suppose that's no big surprise, but I'm curious, Michelle, how do you feel about it? Are you happy with these latest provisions in their current form? Yes, um, that's a good question. Um, there was an 11th hour addition um, to the bill that had to be studied because it created um, additional burdens on Indian tribes and had some ambiguity as to 
um, some of the provisions. Um, but I think in some ways, you know, we're we're working with the Senate staff on um, that specific section to make sure that um, that you know, should there be a challenge, that there's a well-developed legislative record as to what the intention of the senators is um, when it comes to that. Um, but, you know, there, um, and and I would really prefer having, um, when it references tribal law enforcement, that it just says tribal governments, um, because in Alaska, there's, you know, maybe a couple handfuls of tribal governments that actually have law enforcement. So I get worried about technical um, people reading that as black letter and not, um, you know, recognizing that it's meant for all tribal governments in Alaska. But, um, you know, overall, um, very pleased in what has been created and um, and hope that we can continue to build on it. You know, one of the things that was omitted was um, our ability to protect our elders. Um, a lot of our homes are multi-generational, and so it's not only children who are our first responders when it comes to domestic violence situations, but our elders are also, and um, that was a provision that was um, taken out um, at the last minute. But, you know, otherwise, you know, we just keep building upon uh, prior successes, and I'm confident that we'll continue to do that moving forward. Michelle, how hopeful should we be that this will be enacted into law? And do you have any gauge on when that might be? Yes, what I'm told is that it's going to come to the floor in March. Um, and I'm also um, being told that there are uh, at least 10 Republicans who are in support of this bill. And so it is truly a bipartisan bill. Um, I have not heard of, I think all of the more controversial uh, provisions that um, I wasn't part of those discussions um, that were related to possibly non-tribal provisions have been negotiated, and and so that's where you get the bipartisan support. Michelle, what is the opposition to VAWA now and in the past? Because it it has been contentious. There have been uh, there has been a lot of pushback every every step of the way since '94 and all these different uh, reauthorization efforts over the year. Could you give us a, a little more background on that? Well, I mean, as it pertains to American Indians and Alaska Natives, I think there's just a lack of understanding of who we are as um, tribal people and tribal governments. There's a lack of understanding about our sophistication and our ability to um, to to do things in in a way that um, reflect what um, you know non-Indians receive in state courts. Um, you know, tribal governments and tribal courts are just like any other. Uh, court system, we um, you know we have our strengths and um, and we certainly uh, know understand due process. So a lot of the the concerns have been unfounded. Um, I know that in the past there has been concern that you know why, how, or why should a non-Indian be subject to a tribal court system. And um, the fact of the matter is no one was holding those individuals accountable. And so this is a very important solution. And our, you know, one thing that they should, that should be noted is that the jury um, in a criminal case like that 
is made up of their peers. And so it's not just all tribal. It's not just all non-Indian. It's made up of the cross-section of the community. And we figured out how, that, how to achieve that. Any tribe who's exercising special domestic violence criminal jurisdiction has put those types of measures in place. And um, those jurors um, reflect the defendant. Well, folks, we are talking about the Violence Against Women Act and its reauthorization efforts. We're having a great conversation with Michelle Demert, an attorney based in Fairbanks, Alaska. If you have any questions, any comments, we'd really love to hear from you. This is this is a big deal. This is a huge, huge issue uh, impacting many, many Native communities. So give us a call, please. 1-800-996-2848. You're listening to Native America Calling. We'll be back right after break. Are you a Native American healthcare provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a seven-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is February 21st. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today we're talking about reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act. Once it's reauthorized, some tribes in Alaska will have additional power to hold non-Native perpetrators accountable. This is part of a pilot project included in the VAWA reauthorization. What are your thoughts on VAWA? There's still time to share your comments and questions. We're at 1-800-996-2848. And before we went to break, Michelle, you were talking about some of the opposition to VAWA. And I'm, I'm curious to know where the opposition comes from. You, you speak highly of Senator Murkowski's leadership. So obviously, this issue doesn't get cut right down the middle on party lines. So where do you see the opposition coming from specifically? Well, I mean, it's really hard to say. Um, as I said before, to me, it's like an, a lack of education or understanding that um, Native American communities are sophisticated, we're competent, we um, understand due process. And so it's really about educating those individuals who may not have had any contact with Native American communities or don't understand us. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm a licensed attorney in Washington State. And um, and I always joke that, um, you know, when I hear these types of comments about Native American communities that, oh, I must have taken the remedial bar exam. I didn't. I took the same bar exam as everyone else passed it the first time. You know, and I guess there's just that that stereotype that maybe we don't learn the same way. I'm not sure. It's just a really pure ignorance. And, um, you know, we just need to change the education on that. Yeah, for sure. Really, really, really important. Michelle, so can you describe the, the enforcement process now in Alaska and how can it be enhanced under VAWA? So right now, if I am in my family's from Klawak, um, and actually we do have law enforcement there, but if um, on Prince of Wales Island, if I was in a different community, 
um, where there is not law enforcement, um, I would call and the state troopers um, would have to um, either be flown in or um, on my island um, where I'm from, um, there is a road system, but it's hundreds of miles. So, you know, uh, you know, that the island is, so it's a huge island. And um, so in typical rural Alaska, you call and if there's no law enforcement in your community, it, they come from a hub community. And, um, and they might even take a little bit of time to figure out whether or not it's worth their time to come out. So um, as you know, domestic violence situations can often be a he said, she said type of situation. And um, if they call instead of actually come to the village, sometimes they'll decide not to come out at all um, because of the resources that um, is what their explanation is or higher priorities, things like that. But, you know, again, um, every crime should be uh, should be investigated and uh, the victims should be heard and um, and we the perpetrators should be held accountable. So um, in the best case scenario, if if it does happen, they come out and, um, in, you know, investigate and uh, and then they go back to the hub community and, um, you know, the prosecutor decides whether or not there's a case and uh, whether there's going to be a charge. And um, meanwhile, um, you know, it, it's just not a very perfect system because of all the travel involved, all the um, evidence that could be lost back and forth. Just, you know, these are local issues and that's where we should focus our attention is local responses to local problems so that the community can heal um, in a timely manner rather than all of this back and forth and uncertainty. Well, Michelle, you mentioned these local issues, limited resources, uh, the rural nature of many of these communities, the long distances that law enforcement has to travel to to reach these communities. And obviously, you know, VAWA is not the perfect solution. So, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a great, great um, um, chance to move things forward, but there's always going to be other issues as well. So I'm curious, how can we strengthen accountability for violent abusers in Alaska in addition to VAWA? Yeah, um, that's a really great question. And, um, you know, the resources really need to be provided. Oftentimes, um, you know, the resources that are available focus on victims' issues. And, of course, that's primary importance. But once we get the victim safe and we are working on healing that individual, we really also need to focus on the perpetrator. A lot of these individuals um, have trauma in their past and um, that has gone untreated. And so often there are few resources for him or her. And um, there's certainly very few grant programs that actually address this issue. So we're just sort of addressing the issue um, on a limited basis, more in crisis mode rather than um, sort of a comprehensive plan. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for all this information, all this background, all these details, and, and especially with regard to what's going, up, going on up in Alaska. Really, really appreciate all of your insights. Folks, we have another guest on our show today. Joining us from Albuquerque, New Mexico, we have Angel Charlie. She's the executive director of the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women, 
and she is Laguna Pueblo. Angel, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Angel, what are the provisions for tribes in the latest version of VAWA? We've been mostly talking about up in Alaska, but down here in the lower 48, um, what can tribes expect with regard to, to VAWA in the future? Sure, that's a great question. So this iteration of VAWA, which was introduced this week in the Senate, um, you know, it maintains special tribal criminal jurisdiction over the crimes that it had previously covered, which are dating violence, domestic violence, and violences of the tribal civil protection orders. Um, and so those will remain in place. What this version includes that it didn't last time was crimes related to child violence, sexual violence, sex trafficking, stalking, obstruction of justice, and assault of tribal justice personnel. So, you know, I think what's important is the authorization of 2013 had great strides for our tribal communities, but what we've seen um, since the last version was released is here, here are the gaps and tribes and advocates and folks in the movement um, have been really working to add these additional provisions within the um, within this version of VAWA. Angel, what about same-sex couples? Because they've been an issue of contention with VAWA in the past. Have they been addressed in this reauthorization? You know, I, not within what I understand for Title VIII. So uh, also there was some shifting around with titles. Um, previously it was Title IX. Now we're, we're working with um, tribal provisions in Title VIII. Not that I've seen it within the language particular to tribal jurisdiction or tribal provisions, um, but I don't know if within the larger VAWA um, that issue is addressed. Now, in, in your opinion, do you feel that tribes have lost out since the previous version of VAWA expired back in 2018? You know, what we know is um, tribal programs under um, VAWA funding continue to be funded. Um, what I can say is that they were funded at all of the previous amounts. So we haven't had an increase in VAWA funding um, since the, the last iteration. Um, what this new version also entails is an increase in funding. So um, in all of the ways that the issue has been um, centered and, and folks are talking about it, I think more survivors have come forward um, since the 2013 uh, release and, um, you know, tribes have been operating at, at the same amount of funding as then. So no increases, just pretty much maintaining that status quo as previous years. Uh, Angel, you know, MMIW, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, there's been so much more media coverage in, in Indian country on these pressing topics and um, advocacy and awareness has been raised on, on so many fronts. But where are we at? I mean, how much more work do we need to do to educate people about these realities in Indian country? Um. Well, that's a great question. And so when, when we at the coalition talk about MMIW or MMIR, um, what we really center is this historic lack of funding. We hope that this reiteration of our begins to address some of that. 
And then also the initiatives that we're seeing under Operation Lady Justice and Secretary Holland's um, Murdered and Missing Unit. Um, we hope that with the establishment of the system responses comes funding and that that funding go directly to tribes uh, so that they can address uh, this issue for their own community because it looks different in every single one of our communities. Um, and then we all know that there's um, the jurisdictional complexity. That's another issue we raise when we're talking about MMIW. Um, we know that some of the provisions under DOI, Operation Lady Justice, and um, one under under VAWA through the TAP program, which is the Tribal Access Program, um, increases access to uh, information sharing. So what we hope to see is the transcendence of the, the complexity around um, jurisdiction. And then the last issue we raise when talking about MMIW or MMIR is um, systemic racism. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the slowest to, to uh, affect change. Um, but, but we are seeing strides, right, with Secretary Holland being um, now at the helm of the Department of the Interior with MMIW task forces. Um, being established throughout the country. We have one here in New Mexico. Um, and then legislation at the at the state level, um, particularly here in New Mexico. Um, we're, we have a couple of bills making their way through the um, legislative session right now to address um, kind of the, the next request of MMIW. So, so, but to answer your question, um, you know, where are we and are we making strides? You know, one of the things that we know is that the families um, are still the ones leading um, the um, searches for their families. And so while we're grateful to see all of the movement from the federal and state systems, um, our families are still, you know, really left behind in this conversation. Um, and so we'd like to see some resourcing going directly to family efforts. Angel, Operation Lady Justice, specifically uh, in regard to MMIW, that's a Trump administration initiative. How is that being implemented? And, and do you see that making a difference? Lady Justice is. Um, you know, it was a task force established. It's coming to a close um, pretty soon. We anticipate the final report. Um, what I do know, um, regardless of the previous administration, is that uh, a lot of the, the programs and initiatives um, that are being set up right now are being set up through the Department of the Interior. And we know that um, the it's Secretary Holland who's there. And so um, what feels really good to see is that when she was the Congresswoman for um, District 1 in Albuquerque um, and introducing these pieces of federal legislation like the Not Invisible Act and like Savannah's Act, um, the next phase of those, once they were passed into law, was implementation. Um, and now we see the Department of Interior uh, doing the full implementation. So um, regardless of the last administration, um, it feels good to have a Native woman in that position to see these through. Angel, we've 
only got a couple of minutes, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap up the show, but I, I'd like our listeners to, to learn a little bit more about you and, and what drives you to advocate to enact strong measures to hold violent offenders accountable. Um, you know, I come from a family who, who experienced some of these issues, and uh, fortunately, my family was supported with resources and services in my own community, um, and so I personally know what it means um, to be in a DV shelter as a child, to experience these rates of violence that we hear about, and then come out on the other side. Um, so, so I know what intervention and real wraparound services mean for a family. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And I want, you know, others, the people I love, my community, to be able to, to have that same story. When did you start doing this kind of work? Um, you know, I moved back into New Mexico in, I think, 2017. And um, I started volunteering with the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women and then became um, uh, our office coordinator soon after that and then have worked my way up to the executive director position since then. But really what drew me to this organization in particular was Ashlyn Mike. When we talk about MMIW, that, that's, a, that's a case that I think a lot of Indian country um, is familiar with. And I have a daughter um, who is Ashlyn's age, and it, it, it was traumatizing. It really hit home, and um, I wanted to get involved with the coalition any way I could. Okay. All right. Well, congratulations on, on your leadership and all these issues. And uh, I just do want to comment, uh, Michelle did let us know that same-sex partners are covered under VAWA if they meet certain definitions. Folks, we've reached the end of the hour. I'd like to say thank you to our guests, Angel Charlie and Michelle Dummert, for an enlightening and in-depth conversation regarding how the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act impacts our Native communities. Join us tomorrow for discussion about a toolkit made specifically for Indigenous families of victims of violence. I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening. stories to tell? Vision Maker Media funds Native American and Alaska Native long and short documentaries at all stages of development and is currently seeking proposals intended for PBS television broadcasting through their public media fund. These projects should represent the cultures, experiences, and perspectives of Native Americans and Alaska Natives. Deadline for submissions is Friday, February 11th at visionmakermedia.org who support this program. Good stuff. Yeah, hook it the more hook
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.